Hello, and welcome to Authors Annotated, a Gwinnett County Public Library podcast, where we chat with authors about their work and their creative process and their love of libraries. My name is Melissa Grimont, the manager of the Lilburn branch. And I'm Steve Thomas, the manager of the Grayson branch. On today's episode, we welcome Lynn Cullen, national best-selling author of the historical novels The Sisters of Summit Avenue, Twain's End, Mrs. Poe, Reign of Madness, and I Am Rembrandt's Daughter. Her newest book, The Woman with the Cure, follows the life of Dr. Dorothy Horstman, who paved the way for the polio vaccine. Lynn, you were on the podcast last year to talk about your book, The Sisters of Summit Avenue, and now you're back to talk about your new book. So this makes you officially our first returning guest. So welcome back to the show. What an honor. Thank you for having me again. So last time you were here, I look back over the questions we asked last time, so we don't ask the same things over and over again. But you did talk about your early memories of libraries, including reading the Boxcar Children books. Are there any other books that you recall reading as a child that you feel influenced you in your writing today that left a mark on you that you feel like is why you write what you write? I don't know if I mentioned before, but when I was a child, more than anything, I loved these fictionalized biographies. And they were really poor quality, but I loved them because I just love history and I love people. And to me, history is not wars and presidents. To me, history is people and how people coped and what they did in their times. So that was my section. I read everything. I read even to, I got to the point of baseball stars, which didn't interest me at all. But just, I loved reading about people and their struggles and how they came to be who they were. So that's kind of what I do now. And I hope they're better quality than those because they aren't very, you know, tip-top quality. You haven't written one about a baseball story. From a reader's perspective, I definitely think they're better quality. When you're writing a novel based on a real person's life, how do you work to balance staying true to their life story with creating a satisfying narrative arc? That is a trick because um, I am very careful to stick with history. That means a lot to me. It's sort of a game I play to keep it as real as possible. Everything that happens in the book could have happened. In fact, I usually go to every scene in my book just so I have the settings right. I'm kind of fanatical, but there's a departure from that when you're doing novels. And I don't mind that because novels, they tell a bigger story than just a person's life, just this fictionalized biography like I used to love. Because you can tell through this person's life a larger story, like in The Woman with the Cure, it's really about connections. I didn't realize this as I was writing it, but it's really about all these people who contributed to the vaccine. The main person, of course, was Dorothy, and we follow her through. There's all these other people, and their roles might have been really small, but it doesn't mean that they were unneeded. Everybody was needed. So that's just so much more than talking about one person's life. You can examine so many other issues. As a history major, I can say that I agree with you. History is not just about battles and wars. It's about the story of people. And when you break down people's interactions with each other, even if they're fictionalized accounts, I think that really gives you a depth into understanding that time period. 
because real life is messy and it doesn't wrap things up nicely and have those themes come together in a nice little bow. So that's the thing you have to deal with. So now that we've chatted about the benefits of history, can you tell our listeners about The Woman with the Cure? Yes. In a nutshell, it's about the race for the polio vaccine. And most people, if they know of this race, because we so much have forgotten about polio because they were so successful in wiping it out, but it was a major epidemic yearly every summer for 39 years until they had a vaccine. So here is this race to beat this horrible scourge that was killing or uh, paralyzing children. And most of the public knew about Dr. Albert Sabin and Dr. Jonas Saul, and they knew about their competition. And actually, a friend of mine, she's an oral historian for the CDC. She was telling me about them, and I was really interested But as much as I knew I wanted to write that book, I knew I would not write about them. Because my first question was, what about the women? And that's how my story came about. What about those women? When you were doing your research, was there anything about that race for the polio vaccine that you didn't know before that really kind of surprised you and changed how maybe you would have approached the story? Well, one thing I didn't know which is major, is how long this epidemic went on. You know, as I had mentioned, 39 years before they had a vaccine, they had nothing. For those 39 years, all they had was what we had at the beginning of COVID, and that was isolation. When you had an outbreak, your child was brought inside because, you know, this affected children only, babies, all-age children, young adults. And so all they can do is go inside, not go to movies, not do the things that they enjoyed. In particular, they were told not to swim. And that was a big thing because they really feared that polio virus was in the water of all kinds. Took them a long time to rule that out. So the surprising thing is just how long it took them to know anything. And that's where my character, Dorothy Horseman, comes in. She is the person who figured out how the polio virus works in the body. Where it enters, actually, I should say, Sabin figured out that it's oral and it went to the gut, but she figured out that it multiplied in the bloodstream. And that's where a vaccine should be applied to stopping the replication in the bloodstream. But as you know, that seems so obvious, but it was not. And they wouldn't allow her with this theory to pursue this for years. The men, they didn't see other instances of the polio virus being in the blood. She found it one time and no one else did. So they said, we didn't find it, so it can't be. And anyhow, she was really not given the funding or the opportunity to pursue this. So really, to answer your question, to think that maybe lives would have been saved, how many lives would have been saved? if she had been allowed to pursue her hunch. That's a sobering thought. You mentioned this a little bit already, but do you see other parallels between the polio pandemic and the COVID-19 pandemic that we just are still in the middle of, but through the worst of it, but still around, obviously? Do you see of like the response and how it was dealt with? Do you see some parallels? Oh, yes, especially the isolation part. 
this is what how it looks when there's a pandemic and you don't know what's caused the disease and how it spread. This is all that you could do is isolate. And I think about some of the far-fetched things we did early on, like washing packages. And if you get, I remember after I got the mail, I would wash my hands. You know, we just didn't know. And, and that's how they were. So uh, it was kind of astounding to live it as I was working on this. It really made me see just how frightening it was when you don't know how you can get sick and you're trying to prevent your loved ones from getting that. So you're just kind of desperate. Learn that way too firsthand <laughs> with this. But the other good thing is with our pandemic, at least what, what was about a year that before they had a vaccine, that's amazing. It was 39 years worth for polio. So we actually are lucky in that. A lot more lives were lost for COVID, though. I think people will look back and they will be astounded at how many lives. Funny, when you live through something, you don't really feel it as much. You're so busy surviving. And I talk about this in my book because I felt like they must feel like that too during polio. Like here they have this horrible scourge that could, you know, take their children. But life goes on, and we saw how that is. And I think with the polio vaccine working so well, the fact that people do not see the results of polio, it's kind of sight unseen. They don't think about it. So it's great when a book like this can come out and just remind people of what happened in the past. And hopefully we don't get the mistakes made in the past. Per the U.S. Census, Women are nearly half of the workforce in the 2020s and beyond, only make up a little over 25% of STEM occupations. During the 1940s and 50s, those numbers were even smaller. I think the statistic I looked at was roughly like 5%. I know why it was so hard, like for Dorothy Horstman, to stop an epidemic takes an awful lot of work. And... Back in those days, she wouldn't have had help to do it, so she had to make a choice. This is something that really struck me and made me want to write this book, because Dorothy was not a complainer, but she did say that women, to achieve what she needed to achieve, changing the world, you can't have it all. She really regretted that women can't have it all. And that kind of struck me, because here's this woman, such a go-getter. And I thought, if she can't have it all. But when I started to learn about her and how her situation was just always made difficult, she was passed over for things. I'd noticed at meetings, she seemed to be the hostess all the time. There's a picture of her when she had announced her discovery. It shows her and David Bodian, a man who came in two years before she had made her discovery. She'd been working at it for nine years. He got the funding. He made the discovery, and it turned out they had to share their honor. So Time Magazine came to photograph this this big moment because this was a huge breakthrough. Well, they seated her at a desk with a pen and had her looking up at him as he was giving dictation to her like he was his secretary when it was really her idea. So this was just common, and 
So women were discouraged. So two things. One, it wasn't made easy time-wise if you wanted to have a family. Two, it just, when you were there giving it your all, you still got treated differently. Uh, Isabel Morgan, a woman who developed the vaccine that Salk went on to perfect. And, you know, we hear about the Salk vaccine. It really should be the Morgan vaccine. Isabel Morgan discovered it first. But she dropped out of the race. I, I think she was discouraged by all the roadblocks she got. And so she dropped out to get married, which is really astounding <laughs> that the giant, her parents were Nobel Prize winners in chemistry, and she was just so discouraged by it all. She did go back to work right away, but she never picked up this race to find the vaccine. One thing that interests me in this book is that even though it was set more than 70 years ago, many of the experiences the female characters go through are still happening in the STEM field. That having it all phrase is still something that women in not just STEM, but in the working world still think about. The sacrifices and the adjustments they have to make on whether they want to passionate their work or how are they going to deal with family life and all of the other things. I may say, I feel like women can have it all. Oh, yes, we can have it all. But in what proportion? And I don't know if men have to grapple with this as much. Um, I think they do more now. I think dads are more into families and uh, rape. But I think it's just something women do think about when they're young. I think about my grandchildren. I think about my own children, the choices they made, you know, trying to figure out that proportion. What's the one thing that you think women of today can learn from Dorothy? What's a good lesson that they can learn from her life? I'd say to never give up, to be determined. That applies to every field, every endeavor. I think about it for me as a writer, because this is not an easy field to make it in, to make your dream come true. It's a dream killer. But if you are persistent, you learn, um, you can achieve your dreams. Dorothy did it in spite of all those roadblocks, and she changed the world. Her career actually was really successful. She achieved everything she wanted to achieve. She just didn't get credit for it. You know, one last thing. She was the Western scientist that the USSR allowed in to test Sabin's vaccine. Is a 77 million person vaccine trial. Largest ever. I think largest to this day. And they would only allow one person to evaluate this. Who did the World Health Organization choose? Dorothy. And so the sugar cube vaccine that people of a certain age, like me, got, and she single-handedly did this, you got that cube because of Dorothy. So just to wrap it up, she did achieve everything she wanted to achieve. She's touched all of our lives, every single person's life. So that's enough for her. But I want her to be known. And with the help of your book, hopefully she will be. So Lynn, thank you so much for coming back on again to the podcast. And we appreciate it. Again, the book is called The Woman with the Cure. And it sounds like a great read. And it's a great one for us to have on the podcast here today because it's Women's History Month. So thank you again for coming on. 
My pleasure. Thank you for having me. And it was a pleasure meeting you during Women's History Month and having a wonderful conversation with you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Authors Annotated, a podcast from Gwinnett County Public Library. And thanks again to author Lynn Cullen for the great conversation. The Woman with the Cure and Lynn's past books are available from the library for you to place on hold. You can also find out more about the library's podcast at gwinnettpl.org slash podcast or follow them in your podcast app of choice. Thanks for listening and for supporting your Gwinnett County Public Library.